Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. So I prophesy the understanding. We come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Insight and revelation will come to you in the name of Jesus amen. Christ. I want you to just concentrate on this. I want to pray a prayer for you again. I've been praying it in recent times. From today or even before now, some of you are already working in it. But there will be an increase in this manifestation. Wait now, before you say me, I have to do what I want to say. <laughs> Visions and revelations will characterize your life. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That God will let you see things that are hidden to other people. Amen. When there was trouble on the mountain, they said, go and arrest for me, Elisha. Elisha was not afraid because of what he had seen. When his servant was afraid, he said to the Lord, Open the eyes of this, my servant. And the Lord opened the eyes of that one, and he saw the mountain. He saw the chariots of God surrounding the mountain, and he knew they were safe. That will be your experience in the name of Jesus. Amen. The experience, the type that Elisha had, knowing what God is doing so that he can rest, he could rest in it. No, no, there was a time there was crisis also coming. Joseph knew what to do to prepare. Such revelation will characterize your life in the name of Jesus. Amen. You will not be confused. Amen. You will have direction. Amen. Visions and revelations. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord is good. Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. Oh. Alright, I want us to open our Bibles. First of all, to the book of Matthew, to the, um, I feel like speaking about something beginning from today, and then we're going to use it to pray, and it's a very funny topic, it's not my usual kind of topic, but let's look at it now, we? Uh-huh. The Bible says that um, the devil has schemes, you understand? So I want to talk about overcoming the devil's schemes. The Lord is good. It's not my kind of topic, really. But I think we should talk about it. Because people need to understand. Sometimes if you don't address something, people keep on listening to that which is not, um, which is not true. So we are going to read something that um, the Lord Jesus said. And then we will also read something that uh, Paul said about the matter. Let's start with Second Corinthians chapter 2, or then we'll go to Matthew chapter 6. Which one do you read first? Matthew chapter 6, let's read that one first. Now, I just want a verse, but I just like to read in context. It said, when you are praying, from verse 7, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. For we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now those are the few verses I want to read there. The Lord Jesus here was here teaching his disciples how to pray. The single text I actually need from there, the single verse is when he said in verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Now what um, we must bear in mind in this, uh, the way I used to read this, and I'm sure most people, you read it like that too, and probably still do that till now, is that when he said deliver us from evil, he was talking about evil happening. We are traveling, deliver us from road traffic accidents. We are in our homes, deliver us from building collapses. We have investments, deliver us from losing money. You know, all those kind of things, you know. And there's an outbreak, deliver us from diseases breaking out upon us. We look at that as evil. Uh, but, you know, let me just suggest to you again, that was not what Jesus was talking about. God will deliver us from all of those things most certainly, but this prayer was not addressed at that matter. When Jesus said this, you have to read it in context. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what that means is that the way we get involved in this evil is being led into temptation. What he was saying is that, this is the best way to read it, deliver us from doing evil. Deliver us from cooperating with the evil one. Deliver us from putting our hands into evil. Do you understand my point? Like the Bible says that the rod of the wicked should not rest upon the lot of the righteous so that the righteous should not put his hands in quotes now into evil so that they will not do evil. So it's important to the Lord that we don't do evil. And I want you to understand that it's also a prayer point. I hope you're getting what I'm saying here. It is a prayer point. You know, uh, the Bible says that Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he prayed with much crying and petitions to him that was able to deliver him from death. And he was ahead in that he feared. Uh, just by the way, <laughs> today I was just discussing with Israel and came to, you know what happened this morning? I was reading my Bible now. I just want to go small tangent. I'll be back. I hope you hear what I said. You hear what I said? I'll be back. You know, have you heard this before? That the fear of God does not mean to fear God the way you fear a snake. You've heard that thing before? Yes. That, in fact, I read something recently. Somebody said that it's a fear of glory. I don't know what that means. That a fear of God is a fear like you fear glory, the fear of glory. All of this, we just want to extricate ourselves from having to tremble before the Almighty. Are you getting my point? And I pointed out something. You know, this morning I was reading, and it suddenly just struck me. That God said to Isaiah, don't fear the fear of these people. <laughs> he said, let the Lord alone be your what? Your fear. Let him be your dread. I said, so how do we explain that one away? This time the Bible tells, let him be your, your what? Your dread. What is dread? Dread of glory. Believe me. Then the Bible says, fear the Lord. He meant fear. People say that, okay, it means reverence. It doesn't mean reverence. It means fear. 
Some people have said it's reverential fear. Fine, whichever way you want to qualify the fear, just be afraid. I hope you're getting my point here. And it would, you know, just like I said, it's a small side um, uh, trip. The fact is that God has many sides to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is, as a father, say for me, when I pray for people, if you've just gotten married and all of that, or you've become a parent, one of the prayers I will pray for you is that by this new experience, may you understand God better. That's what I will never forget. Somebody just got married, it's one of the prayers I'll pray for you. You just had a child, I'll pray that prayer for the family. Because I've realized, personally, becoming a husband taught me a lot of things. It was when I became a husband that I understood why God had to kill Saul. No, you know, that was when I understood why God said, Saul, you're dead meat. Before I was like, ah, God, it's small for you. Okay, go here. Didn't go there. I understood it. And then when I became a father, I understood some things also. Now, as in fatherhood, I understood something that it's possible to fear somebody and love him at the same time. What we used to think is because we fear snakes, we don't love snakes. So we say you can't fear God like you fear a snake. Are you getting my point? That's the mistake we make. But the fact is that you can fear somebody and love him at the same time. And that, as I've seen it in, I mean, in my life. I found as my children were growing up, both of them could easily, you know, be side by side. And I've discovered, if you're a parent, ensure your children understand both sides. I heard father said, I can't discipline a child. You're very, 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 very failing in your, let me just be like that. You're failing in your responsibility. I don't know how to train children. Learn it. I mean, we learn all these things. You sit down and say, please, how, this is the angle of, and this amount of, no, I'm serious. You learn these things. You learn it. Unruly children is not a good thing. And children are never... Look, children, some children are calm by nature. Some are excited by nature. But none of them is obedient by nature. Foolishness is in the heart of both of them. Is to ensure... One of the duties of parents is to ensure that both of them is present or are present in the lives of their children. You must make sure that those children, as they, grow, they are growing up, they know what love is. Do you get my point? You carry them, you pamper them, you hug them, you tell them that you love them. Are you getting me? At the same time, you make sure that every disobedience meets with a just recompense of reward. A promised reward, though, not, do you follow my point? Not a rash reward. When you call rash reward, you kept your phone somewhere, a child drops it and it falls by accident. That's not supposed to get a disobedience, not supposed to get um, discipline. It's an accident. Do you understand? It is disobedience you punish. If you say, don't touch it, don't go there, and the first thing went there, whether it fell and broke or not, is a secondary point. The most important point is what? Disobedience. So if calamity happens, but not a result of disobedience, you're not supposed to discipline that. You instruct based on the experience of the calamity, of the bad thing that's happened. The child caught himself with some a glass but accidentally. Some parents are so angry, they flog the child first before they go to the hospital. No, you know, you must never react out of anger. Do you follow my point? You mustn't. You mustn't. What you are supposed to do is to watch out for disobedience. Disobedience is what you go after. And disobedience must be punished. The child must fear to disobey. Now, what am I going to say? The two of them go side by side. And I discovered something. Huh? The best relationship between children and parents 
is founded on that. If there's only love, you're not raising the children well. If there's only discipline, discipline, discipline is just as bad. I don't know which one is worse. Both of them are bad. Don't think one is good. Both of them are bad. It's a balance that's the key. It's a balance that's the key. It's a balance that is the key. Please let's bear that in mind. So I just wanted to emphasize that. So in one of the things I found out that children do best. In fact, they actually overall love the person who combines both you know, more than the person who gives love and love only. After some time, love and love and love is despised. I remember once, my first experience with that, it was not even my own children. I was a young man, but I was living with relatives for a, short, a period of time. And one of my little cousins came to the house with the grandmother. And, um, you know, my cousin's um, son, actually. This boy, you know those little boys that are made up of energy? You know, you know like Chuxi's son? <laughs> Bundle of energy. The guys are always rolling around. You couldn't, you couldn't get into city one place. Then I noticed that as big as he was, he was still carrying a feeding bottle. He was about two years of age. And I was like, ah, I told the grandmother, because the mom was busy, grandmother was taking care of him. Why is he still on the bottle? He said he will never agree to eat now, just by the way. My children never fed with, from the bottle. They always fed from, it was breast milk to plate. Yes, sometimes they used bottle for milk when they were very small, but this one, of, you know, some would cut them, um, they, they tick, the teeth very big so that big pap can flow through. <laughs> My children didn't have that experience. From very early, their mother started feeding them from a plate. They started using a spoon very, very early in life. So this idea of keeping bottles very clean, it was not much of a problem, all right? You know, we were using plates very, very early. You know, we have to keep a bottle clean. Now, just by the way, I know I'm saying mental. I'll get to my message. I hope you don't mind. I'll get to my message in a moment. You know why many parents don't do that other one? It's laborious. To get a child to sit down, it's easier to just push the thing into the mouth. The child holds it like this, and they're sucking away. And the mother can do other things. So I understand. But anyway, this is my little guy. He'll be running around with his, you know, you know, with his plenty of energy, with a bottle in his hand. This was the food he was eating. So I said, why does he not eat? People, I mean, children, his mate, already eating adult food. The grandmother said, he will not agree, will not agree, will not agree. Ah. And I couldn't stand it, so I carried the boy. Come, you will eat. So when I want to eat, I will try to feed him, you know, stuff like that. Now, you know what I noticed? Let's make a long story short. If I'm the one doing the feeding, the boy always sat down and always ate. You say, Why? Do you know why? I didn't take nonsense from him like everybody else. One of these was playing with something a bit dangerous or something, you know, that you shouldn't play with, delicate. So I took it from him. You know what he did? Typical and really little boy. He ran after me and gave me a kick. There are things I don't take even if you are playing. <laughs> I've always been like that. I just don't take it. This guy has kicked everybody in the house. Nobody says anything. You know those little boys that terrorize grandmother, mother, aunties, you know? But he met, I was like, I'm cool to him. His mother is my cousin, you understand? Like, what? No, I just took him, I was walking away. Next day, I said, ta ta ta, boom, behind me. One little boy gave me a kick. I looked at the boy, I said, ah, mistake. This is a mistake. I took him and I flogged him very well, at least for his age. I turned his butt for him and twacked his bonbon very well. And he cried, and his grandmother couldn't do anything. 
I mean, it's a family affair. Are you getting my point? <laughs> twacked the boy. And every time he misbehaved, I twacked him like that. You know what happened? In a short while, I became his best friend in the house. Now, I got to a point that eating was a problem for me because whatever he's doing, if he finds me on the dining table, he makes a beeline for the table, I will carry him, put him on my lap, get a small spoon, and both of us, we eat until I finish eating. This is a boy that said, we will not agree to eat. It was indiscipline. That was why he was not eating. And I got to a time that when it's time for him to eat, I get called. Because he'll eat, I mean, we became friends. I would toss him around. We'll play, roll all over the house, toss the boy up and down. You know the way you, you play with little boys that, you know, they, they get excited. Where the friendship starts from? Discipline. Best thing, that just by the way, all right? You know I said it's a side trip, right? Let's get back to our message. So Jesus said, the Bible said that Jesus was head in that what? He feared. So let's not think that fearing God means to hate him. People think that when you fear God, it means you hate him. You can't stand in his presence. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. To fear God does not take anything away from loving him. You can love him 100% and still fear him. Please, you must understand that. So we're reading somewhere, right? So please bear that in mind. I just wanted to drop that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But deliver us, it is from doing evil, from participating in evil. That is what he's talking about. Is to deliver us from participating in evil. It's not just um, like let evil not happen to us. No, it is that we should not be the one to do that which is evil. The Lord is good. All right. Now let's open again to Second Corinthians chapter 2. I want to just read something from down there quickly. All right, let's read the verse um, 10. Now, Paul was talking, okay, if you go from verse 5, or the earlier, earlier verses, Paul was talking about forgiving the fellow that had sinned and that they should all be careful that uh, they do that for him. Uh, in verse 8, he said, Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes, in the presence of Christ. Now this is my verse I want. It says, so that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. I want you to notice that. He said, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That is, what Satan has, please let me start with that. What Satan has is what? Schemes. If you have a King James, it says devices. All right? Use the word devices. But I like this um, um, New American Standard rendering here, where you use the expression schemes. Now, the thing about schemes is that the emphasis is that he's trying to, is trick. Do you follow my point? Yeah, that's the thing about uh, uh, schemes. It is tricks. He's not, um, he's not a powerful person. Now, let me go over that again. Satan does not have the kind of power people often think it has. Let me say that again. Satan does not have the power people often think he has. He cannot just kill because he wants to kill. He can't just take your money. Many times we start praying like this. Satan, you will not take my money. You will not take my goods. And like I always say, Satan does not want your money. He does not want your goods. Do you understand? Satan, you will not take my health. Actually, he can't. He does not have that power inherent in himself. Please, let's never forget it. 
Satan does not have power, that kind of power inherent in himself. Yesterday, I was, um, I was going to the channels on TV. So anyway, I, I now stumbled into a, another channel, and one man was, doing, was preaching. I said, let me just listen to these guys. And he was doing deliverance again. And I said, okay, I don't know. I don't know you want to judge whether this is genuine or is not, because there are all kinds of people on TV. And the Bible says you test every spirit. It's not good to be gullible. You should test every spirit. One day somebody said, I said that uh, one man, uh, that a prophet is false. Said, How can I say that? I said, because there are false prophets. And I think this one is false. And I have a right to my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. And I don't have to agree with you. Because if I agree with you, both of, both of us will not be wrong. You understand? So it's good for you to be wrong. And I'm right. At least one person. <laughs> I heard that from one preacher. <laughs> Say, I don't have to agree with you. Otherwise, both of us will be wrong. <laughs> You understand? Sometimes, there, I mean, there are false prophets. So, you have to descend. You have to learn how to descend. So, I, you know, I was now watching. I said, for certain reasons, to sit down and listen. Because where I get part of my discernment from is I settle and hear what you are saying. And I try to perceive the spirit with which you are talking. So, I observed this man for some time. Now, this is where I'm going. I notice every time he'll call somebody forward. I won't tell whether I think he's false. Even though I think his prophecies are false, but it may be a genuine person. So, may, you know, you can be a good pr- preacher and your prophecy is false. Yes. Do you know that? Yes. yes. You can be a real Christian, a genuine preacher, but your prophecy is false. I mean, there are, a lot of preachers, they come, they are preaching very well. But when they want to start raising money, they start telling lies. Everything they said until that point, believe it. Just forget them after that one. Like I was saying, so this man began to, I noticed something he kept on doing. He called many people up. He would tell you, look, I, I see a vision. And I see your destiny being buried somewhere, and somebody sat on top of the pot, and you know, hey, then he would, and he kept on going on. And after some time, I just said, "Look, this guy, this is a problem with with ministry. This is they are saying are not true." Now, when I say they are not true, please, I'm not saying that they don't happen, okay? But they are not the reasons why those people are in bondage, because I didn't see him ask anybody to give his life to Christ. So I assume, therefore, he's talking to believers. So it's one of two things. If you are not offering deliverance through the power of Christ Jesus, do you understand? As you are giving their lives to Christ, then what deliverance are you offering? But if you want to offer it through Christ, then I have to see you offering them Christ. But he didn't do that. And if it is because they already have Christ, then the story you are telling is not true. Let me say to you again. If somebody said that they sat, saw somewhere where they put your destiny and they buried it, and they now say, okay, we need to go and dig. Tell them that I've given my life to Christ. It does not apply to me. And say that with conviction and walk away. That does not need any qualification. It only matters if you have not given your life to Christ. And if you haven't, do that. As soon as you give your life to Christ, the umbilical cord you have to the grave where the dog and kept something has been caught. People sometimes talk as if what we are supposed to do is fight these works of the devil as in um, devil wants me to collect my health. I will not let him. Let us the devil. A devil, devil, a devil, a devil. You are so devil, devil minded. And this guy is wondering, man, I must be important. Like Avanzini said in Genesis, you know what he was? He was a serpent. In Revelation, what was he? A dragon. Avanzini said, How did he grow? He said, The Christians fed him from Genesis <laughs> all the way to Revelation. That he grew, became very fat. Now, that's what Avanzini said. I wasn't there, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but do you get the point? Yes. The one that we magnify. That's the word magnify. Magnify in the Bible means to you know make something greater in your perspective. That's what it means to magnify. When you say magnify the Lord, you can't make him bigger than he really is. It's in your own perspective that you are magnifying him. 
we have done a lot of magnifying the devil. The fact is that he doesn't have that kind of power. He does not. If he had it, why would he tempt? Why didn't he just go to the garden, take Adam, throw him out, take Eve, throw her out? Why didn't he just kill the two of them? Why did he come in there to, be start, to start speaking plenty of English? Excuse me, ma'am. Are you busy right now? Can I talk to you for a moment? Has God really said all oh, this story is a sign that he doesn't have what? Power. If he had power, he wouldn't be there. Has God really said that thou shall not eat of those fruits or any other? Ah, wait. We can eat anything. It's only this one we cannot eat. In fact, my husband has modified the commandment. He said we can't touch two. Oh, you will not surely die. You know the story. Do you know why he has to tempt? Because he doesn't have power. Why did he go to Job's house? And why did he leave Job alone? Because there was nothing he could do to Job. Please, let's get it. He doesn't have power in himself. If he did, all right, why would Jesus say he has all the power? I don't know what I get to my point. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To Christ Jesus. So, where, where does Satan, where is his own? That means small remain, like we say. No. Please, let's get it clear. It's important to understand this because it affects how we pray. Many times when we are praying, we have this mindset. Fight the devil, fight the devil, fight the devil mindset. We have this mindset. You know, like my friend said, at least when I've seen it, I saw it those days, people are praying. They will grab the devil, put him in an arm lock and be punching his head, firing guns at the devil. We think that we are fighting the devil. Oftentimes, in our minds, unconsciously, we have this attitude that God is on one side, the devil is on the other side, they are inside the ring and they are slugging it out. Insult. What do I call that? Insult. insult. They are insulting the Lord. They are insulting the Lord. Satan doesn't approach God like that. He talks to him from a respectable distance. Are you getting my point? With head bowed. Those drawings they draw, Satan and Jesus fighting over his soul. Jesus doesn't fight that kind of thing. He doesn't fight that kind of fight. Jesus will come to the soul. The soul that sinned, it shall die. That's all. It's not just if you want to give your life to Christ, come here and say that I can't do anything about it. When God says, lose that man and let him go, that's the end of it. Satan trembles and pulls back. Don't ever in your mind get the idea that Jesus will be the do round one. Jesus will come into the center of the ring. Against who? You, you've seen drawings like that. Now put one guy with red eyes and you know, black body and horns on his head. I see one person wearing white and. Uh, Oh, God. That's not our God. Or that's not our Jesus. I hope you're getting my point. Sinner doesn't have that kind of power. When we're talking about overcoming him, there's a reason why I read these scriptures. Let's remember, he has just a few powers. Let's go over the powers again. Number one, the first power he has is that of temptation. That is the first power Satan has. Temptation. He can tempt people. He can't force them. He can do what? Tempt. He can't force people to do anything. He can tell them. Has God really said, no, you know, shall die? Let's go. Follow me. Don't worry. Nothing will happen. The aim of that temptation is to get you away from where the protective cover of God is upon you. That's the aim of the temptation. Very close to that temptation, the next power he has is the power of deception. It's part of the ways he tempts. 
Now let me say something quickly. Yes, Satan deceives. But most of the things he offers people, they are true to an extent. When he said to, when he said to Eve, the day you eat it, you will be like God. Question, did that happen? Answer me, did that happen? You're not sure? It happened. God said it himself. Man is now like one of us. He wasn't lying. So don't think Satan will lie to you entirely. When he says smoke this, you will enjoy it. It's not a lie. When you take the first drug, you will be high. You will be walking on water. He will tell you to take a second one, you walk on air. You will walk on air. Do you get my point? What he lies about is the ultimate end. Please, we must understand that. I just need to drop that briefly. So when he say he deceives, where his deception is, is one, he deceives in things like the intent of God. God doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want any challenge to his authority. The day you eat it, you, you will be like God. You'll now be another God all by yourself. It doesn't, it doesn't let you realize that why God is putting a restriction on you, why God is limiting your access in some things is for your own good. You know, one of my best examples is Solomon said, I gathered for myself the pleasures of all men. What is that? Many concubines. And so small, small, small men who are carrying many women, they're always smiling. They're always feeling very happy. Feeling tough that they have more power than Jews. Chooks married one wife. He's a Jew man. He doesn't have sense. If he did, he would have one in Enugu. In Enugu, if I one in Abapa, one in Transekulu, the other one in Emene, one in um, Independence Layout, then one in Natural Layout. Which part of Enugu do you still go to? <laughs> <laughs> you distribute all over town. Then and That's all David did. Many men did that, and they still do it till now. And they will be feeling very happy, bragging with it to their friends. They don't know that this is the interim, in the short term. The Bible says ultimately their mouths will be full with what? Gravel. So that by the time you start hearing testimonies of old men, one of the things they regret the most is those activities. Even those who married the men, women legitimately, polygamous, polygamous men, they start looking back and start wishing that, ah, I wish it was like this. I wish I had done it the other way. So the Frenchman who, when I was young, we've heard the word French kiss. It was named after the French. When I was young, we thought that French people are very promiscuous. And France was one Western country where there was a, everybody knew who the girlfriend of the prime minister was. The president, yeah, the US president. Everybody knew who the president's girlfriend was when I was young. Yeah, they have a saying. They said, love, love many women, you have loved none at all. Love one woman, you have loved them all. Despite the fact that they, they have all their experiences. That's what I'm saying. So in the short term, David was enjoying. By the time he was a 70-year-old man, he was so tired. The age at which uh, what the, um, Caleb was still outrunning strong men. 15 years after that age, Caleb was still taking a mountain. But David had become tired. So Satan deceives people. One of the deceptions he gives people are, these days is just have money. All your problems are gone. You are dead without money. 
the more the amount of money you have, the more powerful your life is, the more influential you will be, the more you can set two issues. Whatever you need to do, just look for money. A man's life consists in as much, as, as much money as he can collect. And a woman's life too. Don't settle for anything less than plenty of money. And you know what? People are following him till today. Finish preaching like this all over the world. People want to follow Satan. Number one reason they follow him is what? Money. Yeah, Jesus said what? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. That's the word of the Lord Jesus. Jesus has said that. So Satan, one, he does what? He tempts. Number two, he deceives. Now, when he has succeeded in these two things, especially number one, what he does with it is called accusation. He has two dimensions of accusations. One of the ways he tempts people is to accuse them to other people. That is, if I want to tempt you, I accuse your wife to you. I accuse your friend to you. That is one way of tempting and deceiving you. But the most powerful accusation power he has is before the judgment throne of God. That is the most important. The one he has before the judgment throne of God. Contrary to some of the things we preach, let me say this to us quickly, some of the things I want to teach. Contrary to what many of us think, we think God does not listen to Satan. But he does. Do you know why? Is a just God. When you are just, you cannot refuse to listen to any accuser. You can't. That would be injustice. So anytime Satan goes up to the judgment throne of God and he knocks, he files his case against people. He says, I have a case against so so and so person. And the Lord will say, What do you want? Say, I want him to die. Are you getting my point? Why should he die? These are the reasons why he should die. He now takes those temptations that the fellow fell for. The deception that the fellow is walking in. All the negative words that this fellow has spoken against himself or herself. He packs everything and puts them in God's face. These are my reasons why the fellow must die. Then when he has said that, listen to me. God allows defense. Go and listen to Nathan Abbasi's song with it. I see the blood. I think they, what name of the track? The blood or something like that. I see the blood. One of the ways you overcome Satan is to hide under that blood constantly. You have to learn how to. There's a technique. <laughs> Can I use the expression? There's a technique for hiding under the blood, for literally covering yourself with the blood of Jesus, and it does not sh- include shouting the blood of Jesus. No, that's not part of it. You can shout the blood of Jesus in a free country. It's just that it doesn't have any effect. Are you getting my point? Just let me drop it quickly. The blood speaks. The blood speaks. Those who are hiding under the blood are doing two things. One, they are speaking the same thing that the blood is speaking. And number two, they are ensuring that they walk in the mercy that is in that blood. It's important. And what I mean by walking in the mercy? They don't come before the throne and say, see what I have done. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I'm not like other men. Remember the story? I'm not like other men. That's one one way you take yourself away from under the cover of that blood. Two things you do. I, I will talk about it again later. So except that blood is speaking, 
which is the main intercession power that Jesus has for your life. For your life. Except that blood is speaking in your favor. Or somebody is literally pleading for you. Just like you have in the court of the human courts of judgment, so it is before the God's, before God's court of judgment also. There are accusers, and that's why Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And just by the way, people also can join in co-accusing. He has co-accusers. Human beings often work for Satan. As human beings often do. Christians are some of the most powerful accusers. And anyway, it's called the accuser of the brethren. And it is what the Bible calls an advocate with the Father. And that's Jesus. In the same manner, we also have people advocating with Jesus Christ. Defending. Asking for mercy. They are called intercessors. But we're speaking about Satan now, right? So, when, if he wins in that case, and says the person must die, the person, the person must fail, the person must lose, just for your information, what he wants most of the time is something that will help the, if he's a Christian we're dealing with. People of the world, listen, they are, there's a way God deals with them. There's something Satan wants from them. There's a way God deals with them, people of the world. But in the church, Christians, there's a different matter. Just one thing Satan wants from Christians, when it goes against them before the judgment of God, just one thing. Whatever it is that will make their faith fail. That's why he said, he said Jesus said, Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to sift you all like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that what? I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. What does that tell you? The main thing Satan wants is for his faith to what? To fail. So if Satan is coming after people, he's not coming after their money. That money is just a way by which their faith will fail. He's not coming after their health. That health is just a way by which their faith will fail. It's not coming after their, you know, their marriage or coming after their promotion. Those things are just his methods to ensure that their faith what fails. So let's bear it in mind. We must know what Satan is looking for. You must know what Satan is looking for. That is why in the midst of temptation, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of any trouble, just know what he's really looking for. Because sometimes God allows him. Sometimes God even invites him. In scripture, it doesn't sound like New Testament teaching, but it's the word of God. It was God that invited him in Job's case. Remember that? That's why James said, don't worry about it. Even if you fall into diverse temptation. He said, Satan is about to tempt you for 10 days. But what did he say? Be faithful even till death. That is God, God knows that what they are looking for is what? The faith. The faith is the issue. It is not the money. It's not the freedom they are about to lose. It's the faith. So sometimes when we are in prison like that, we must never say, where is God? We should enter the prison. At least just to shame the devil. I don't know what I did. Get my point. Just, just let me copy. Let me shame this devil. How do you do when you enter the prison? The first thing you do is not put your head down. After all these years, I've served God. Look at where I am. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar came. Because I'm a child of God, I said no. If all my brothers went to what was wrong, I kept on telling my father the truth. Now nah, look at where I am. 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 That's it. You know what? What I've just done now is what Satan wanted Job to do. Job said, instead I will cause the day I was born. Many times we don't realize what Satan is going for. We think Satan is, who spends your money? Are your dirty naira? Is it pounds? Or euro? In heaven it carries no weight. Spiritually Satan can't even see it. Say, see money, where is it? 
These things don't exist in the realm of the spirit. They are empty. So yeah, you don't have a job for three months. That's it. You are thinking of all this seed. I don't blame you. <laughs> if not me so seed like that, me too, me too, I will complain. <laughs> you don't so seed, you don't tire. God, God, give me my refund. After all, my pastor is pastor that said it, not God. That if you do something dangerous, God will do something dangerous. All right. <laughs> you have done dangerous things. Now you're in a dangerous place. Uh-huh. Hunger is dangerous, my brother. <laughs> God has done something dangerous for you. <laughs> you know, many Christians are angry. They're angry. They're angry with the Lord. They're angry. Why? One pastor came and told them that if they do something dangerous, before three weeks is over, before three weeks ago, it's over. If something serious does not happen to you, come back. I will refund you your money. Please don't bother going back. Something serious has happened to you. <laughs> now you are very poor. You are owing. It's something serious. But many people, that's what happens. They start, they don't know what Satan is going for. They start, they're angry. For the life of righteousness they live over the last many years. All, this, all the other guests are following all the sugar that is look at what has happened to them. Them, they are still here. They don't realize that that is now that Satan wants to win in their lives. When you enter those kind of prisons, when you're in those tight places, the first thing you do is to start rejoicing. When you start rejoicing, Satan is getting ashamed. Are you getting my point? You are rubbing shame in his eyes. That's what you are doing to him. You are, you are making him uncomfortable. Sometimes he's so angry, he stops the temptation. He's just tired. Which kind of Christian are you, Seth? We tempted you outside. You did not fall. You, we came in here now. You are still dancing. Don't you know the prison is a bad place? What happened to Paul and Silas? That's what happened to Paul. They entered into... Let me tell you where Paul... You know, sometimes I think about it. I say, God, everybody has his own grace. But the kind of place they kept Paul and Silas. It's not, it's not Nigerian prison. It's not, forget American prison. It's not even American prison. And most certainly, it's not European prison. European prison say you want to commit a crime. <laughs> Why is he prisons in Europe? Yes, these guys. I'm surprised everybody's not committing crimes every day. You put in a nice little cell, you have everything there, you you'll be watching television and changing channel. <laughs> and they say you're in prison. What kind of nonsense prison is that? All these prisons I've described, including Nigerian prison, that was not where they put Paul. Paul was put in the there was the inner caucus inside the inner prison, inner side. Then, just in case you are very powerful, they will not chain you to the wall. Their feet were in stocks. You know, they, you've seen it in films. They will chain, you can't. Sometimes it's so bad if they want to torture you, they put your hands there too, so your back is arched over. You ain't going anywhere. But let's assume they didn't even put their hand, but their feet were in stocks. After they had beaten them, you know what they did? They started giving thanks. One of the reasons why they did that is that they know what Satan is looking for. Is that grumbling that Satan wants. Just grumble, just grumble. That after, after you've saved God, it's just this prison not through inside. So when, 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 when Silas said, Brother Paul, let us pray. What are we praying about? What are we praying about? But if I pray now, God will hear this kind of way I won't tell him. So let, let me not pray. Because if I pray now, you won't like it. No, really. Sometimes we don't know what Satan is going for. But back to the matter of what Satan gets. So when he comes, all right, when he has tempted, when he has succeeded, when he has brought those things before the judgment throne of God, if God rules against us, 
power inherited himself, he doesn't have it. What he has, well, well, that is when he can now get what the Bible calls the power of death. God can now say, okay, go ahead, finish his business. Go ahead, remove his eyes. Go ahead, do what that you have asked for. Sometimes God will say, no, you can't do that. You can only go far. You cannot cross this level. Don't kill him. Remember Job's case. When he came, talk, 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 talk. God said, fine, no problem. You can take everything he has, but don't kill him. You can't touch him. When he came back, he said, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. His boundary is marked for him each time. I hope you're getting my point here. We need to remember, these are the powers that Satan has. He does not have the kind of power many people think he has. He can't just kill somebody because he wants to kill. He can't just ruin your life because that's how he feels. The only thing he can do are these things I've said. When we want to overcome Satan, the first thing is to go against that area of what? Temptation. That is the first area. That's why we read these scriptures that we read now. Jesus said, let's pray like this. When it was Jesus to pray, he said, pray, which is what? Verse um, 13. He said, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from falling from, for temptation. Deliver us from doing evil. Deliver us from doing what is wrong. And that's an important prayer. Let me say another thing. <laughs> this may sound strange to many people. You know, Christians sometimes, they don't understand how the name of Jesus works. Let me tell you, if God says to Satan, behead that guy, 50 of you gather around him and say, in the name of Jesus, you can't behead him. The head is going. Do you hear what I said? So Jesus, the name of Jesus doesn't have power. It has. You just don't have the authority to carry it against that one at that particular point in time. Many times people don't know. That's the problem. Many times we don't know when to wield our power and our authority. I like his story just to illustrate because this man taught us a lot, Kenneth Hagin. Two stories I want to tell about his life. That is, he told about people around him. A young man who the Lord said, in a vision, the Lord told him that this young man will die before next year. Unless a preacher, preachers die, I hope you know that. Preachers die, I hope you are aware. Sometimes they die young if they are not careful to. Preachers can die. You are working for God doesn't make you mean to die, no. You know, some people think that once they get ordained them deacon, they are safe. No. Your life is more dangerous now. I hope you are aware of that. When you become pastor, your life is just suddenly more risky than before. You know, I'm not the one that said it. It's James that said it. He said, you have what? You'll be judged more harshly. When you open your mouth and start saying things that God did not say. Those who sat down in church who are not saying anything, they are safe. Those who now got up and said, today God was speaking to me. He said, me? Talk to you about what? That's just by the way. So this man, he said, make a, I want to make a long story short. I've told this story here a number of times before. But let's make a long story short. There were two of them actually. The first one, he, had, he called him. And the Lord had told him what that one would do if he doesn't want to die. He's a, he's a pastor and he's a minister of the gospel. He's a married man but he's chasing other women. And God said, for that reason, before this time next year, he will be dead meat. Except he repents. So when this man of God called him, he repented and he lived. He did not die. The other one, he didn't tell us what he was doing wrong. But it was supposed to come and hear the instruction from the mouth of the prophet. See, all these prophets that are blaming your enemies, they are the ones that will kill you. Genuine prophets don't blame your enemies. They blame you. 
Let me say it again. This is a statement I've made many times. If you want to know a false prophet or a prophet that's a genuine Christian but does not know what he's saying, anytime you have a problem, his vision is always who is doing you. That is false prophecy. Let me say it again. Look, I've said this before. One guy was looking at me like this. I went to preach in Lagos. It affects. In my mind is that God has sent you deliverance. You want to be on one spot for another five years. If you reject what I'm saying, that's what will happen to you. You will be on the same spot for the next five years. It's a false prophecy. It's a false vision that tells a Christian, I saw a vision and your auntie was cooking your head. I hear it all the time. I saw you somewhere. Your village is Ipupumaibo. Uh, now say, yes man, yes, man of God. Yes, man of God. It is true. Your village is Ipupumaibo. There is a tree in the center of the village. Which village does not have a tree in the center? Anyway, <laughs> but every village has a tree. <laughs> Unless you are from Sarah Desert. <laughs> That's how it goes. There is a tree. And then I saw four men surrounding the tree one night. And they began to dig a hole. And they dropped, as it were, a cowrie inside. And I saw that cowrie represents your destiny. And they buried it. But I've come to tell you, as a prophet of God, tonight is over, is a lie. What did I say to you? Listen, I don't care who's saying it. It's a lie. No, like I said, some things, things like that happen. I'm talking to Christians. So if you're a non-believer, is it true? <laughs> but if you're a believer, and if that prophet is genuine, a true Christian prophet, if you're a non-believer, a true Christian prophet does not have that time. But a true Christian prophet prophesying to a true Christian never points fingers to who is bearing his destiny. His salvation is not in discussing who did what to who. They said to Jesus, who sinned that this one should be born blind? They said, why are we discussing that? Let the work of God be done in him. I must walk the work of him that sent me while it is day. All this analysis of who started it is, is powerlessness. Those who have power don't discuss such things. Those who have power, look, true power, they don't discuss such things. True prophet, this particular young man, the Lord told him, it is you that is the problem. Stop what you are doing. You will live and not die. You've heard me say many times, nobody can walk to me and say, I see, I see death around you and it, it will scare me. No, I'm not joking about it. I see death around you. Uh-huh. Okay, what am I supposed to do now? It's your prescription that is, I'm waiting for. You see death around me. First, there's death around me. How do I know? People are dying every time around me. So it's nothing new. I hope we are clear on that. Two, one day I will die too, unless Jesus comes back. It doesn't scare me. The death is around me. Maybe he wants to he wants to escort me for a long time because it's angel of death. He follows people, and after another eighty years, hundred years after now, we can talk. Maybe that's what you are seeing. Maybe he doesn't have any. Maybe I'm so special. They've dedicated the one that will take me in a hundred years today. I don't. I'm not joking. It doesn't worry me. No, really. I'm not kidding. No. I'm not, God is my heart. I'm not trying to you know, sound nice. I mean what I'm saying. You tell me see dead around him. Hmm? You are the one that knows what you are looking for around me. I'm waiting for your prescription. If you say, Pastor Banky, I see dead around you. Why? You are not doing what God said you should do. 
I said, yes, sir. What did the Lord say we should do? He said, carry this gospel further. I said, so disobedience is what was going to kill me. I don't know why you're getting my point. He said, I see that around you. He said, what should I do like that man? Leave all those girls alone. You have a wife now. Then I will take correction. I see that around you. Why? You lie too much. Every time you are preaching, you say, you were, last time I was in Lagos, you have not left Enugu in six months. Why are you talking? I hope you are getting my point. These are the things I would listen to. Why? That is what gives the power of death power over somebody like me. Who is somebody like me? A child of God. Not preacher. Child of God. I hope you are getting my point. As I Paul said, we should cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. That's what we need to do. Back to my, my story. So this particular man, they told him, stop this urukuruku. We are a married man. He stopped it and he lived. The other man, which is why the story was going, the prophet called him and he never came. Come now. People reminded him, go and see the man of God. He said, you should come and see him. He was operating under the unction that day. I don't have time. No, don't worry about it. That's, that's what I did until one day. This is where I'm going. Until one day he woke up in the morning, he shouted my head, my head, and he fell over and became unconscious. Now they went and called the prophet because it was in the Bible school. They called Kenneth Hagin, called everybody, and they began to pray. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. That's what I'm talking about. And they couldn't do anything. They, were, they prophesied, spoke in tongues, spoke in teeth, spoke in mouth, spoke in lips. They spoke all kinds of things. He did not wake up. The same man told another story of a man who, they just called, a, also a preacher, a prophet, prominent one. They called, he's been, let's, come, let's, come and pray, let's come and pray. So as he was about to step up to pray, suddenly he remembered something. And then the Holy Spirit just said to him, don't worry, he's going to die. So he just turned back and went back to his seat. And his wife just understood what happened. His wife just said, did the Lord say anything to you? He said, yes. So what did he say? He said that no bother, no need to pray. He's going to die. Now this is the interesting part. Five years before, he had prophesied that at the end of 65 or so, 1965, anyway, at the end of that particular year, that man would die. And that was that time. It was the end of that year. Something he had prophesied five years before. Now, the reason is what we're talking about. The reason was simple. Say, God said that he is leading the body of Christ astray. He's a preacher. And God said, he's leading my people astray. He's teaching things I did not teach him. He's teaching the word inaccurately. He's leading people astray. I won't mention the name, but I've read some of his writings. Crazy things. Funny things like, let me tell you one of the funny things he used to teach. I'm some people still believe it till now. You read from Genesis that the Bible says that Adam knew his wife and he bore what? He bore his son, Cain. And again she bore Abel. He said, notice that he knew his wife once. She delivered twice. He said, who did the second one? He said that. <laughs> I'm telling you, the kind of doctrine he used to preach. He, the way he would unveil his own scripture. So it says Cain was the son of Satan. That was only Abel that was the son of Adam. He said one knowing two deliveries. <laughs> Forgetting that Cain was born first. And Abel was, and that Adam knew his wife produced Cain. 
But the Bible sometimes doesn't bother repeating itself. Say the same process again, then it led to Abel. But it's come up, no, he, he will stand and be preaching it too. He preached for a long time. People told him, stop now. He said, no. I like what I'm preaching. It sounds nice to me. So God removed him. Why am I talking about that? When Satan has collected judgment, it is not time to shout in Satan, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. You rebuke Satan at the right time. When it comes to this temptation, you rebuke him. When it comes to the deception, you rebuke him. When it comes to this division of the body of Christ, you rebuke him. Not when he has gotten his judgment and is now carrying out the judgment that God has given to him. You now start rebuking. No, you can't at such times. If you were to detect that, you go back and go and kneel and ask God for mercy. God, please have mercy on us. We know we'll do them again. Let me stop here. We say overcoming Satan, right? The first thing is we have to learn to overcome what? Temptations. The first thing is we learn to overcome what? Temptation. That's how you overcome Satan. Many people keep on shouting. You know, people like to talk with Satan too much. I mean, taking it there. You will not, you will not. Satan, what if I want to? What will you do about it? I'm not coming to fight you directly. Anytime I show up, eh? It's because I've collected power from above. So when you want to fight Satan, you fight his ability to get that power. And it comes in two areas, a number of areas. We say number one is what? Temptation. We fight temptation. If we are falling for temptation, we quickly confess our sins and collect what? Forgiveness. Because when it comes to God and he starts talking nonsense, listen, God doesn't take his word for it. The Lord checks his own records. So we open the book. What did you say he did? He lied about that thing, and he did this one, he did that one. That was when? That was the um, last six months. The Lord checks the record for six months. He said, I can't see anything. He said, he did. I was there. The Lord checks again. I didn't see it. Ah, but I was a witness. So look at Jesus. What happened? Jesus said, I cleaned it by the power of the blood. I wiped it away. Why did you do that? He confessed his sins. And I'm faithful and just to forgive him of his sins. And wipe him clean of all unrighteousness. So it is clean. You know what Satan will do? He will leave there grumbling. That's all he can do. When he sees you next time, he goes, do you And you will do it. There is nothing, I'm not joking, there is nothing he can do about it. Actually, he recognizes the power of the blood. He does. Once you have been cleansed, he has lost his power. Let me say that again. Once you have been what? Cleansed, he has lost his power. That's why I say true priests, prophets don't have time for all this. Somebody bury your destiny. The buried destiny, uh, that's what we discussed in Okash. You get the messages. The buried destiny needs a hook on your body to drag you with it into the burial place. And the hook is called sin. The hook is called the, you know, like the, Satan, Jesus would say, this prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He needs to have something to hook on you. If he doesn't have anything, too bad. He has lost it. So how do we fight Satan? That's number one. That's what we're talking about today. We fight what? Temptation. How do we fight temptation? Let's quickly read that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stand up to pray. How do we fight temptation? It's prayer number one. Then let's, okay, we'll read this one. Let's also go to the book of Hebrews chapter four. Very important we understand that one. We'll continue looking at these things one by one. The book of Hebrews chapter four. We'll read um, the last verse, but I'd like to just take it in context. Take from verse 14. It said, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He said, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We may receive mercy. What is the time of need? Very important for us to understand the time of need. It's not the time of hunger. It's not the time we need money. The time of need, according to that scripture, is the time of temptation. Because temptation can be overpowering sometimes. I hope you're getting my point here. Sometimes it appears as if, what can I do against the temptation? What it says is that we should draw near to the throne of grace and find grace at that time. That is what we need. So how do we overcome temptation? Let's quickly read the other one I was quoting earlier, Hebrews chapter 5. Because you see, it's very important we understand this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries, loud crying and tears to one able to save him from death. And he was heard because he feared. That is, like that is the literal Hebrew there, in Greek there. He was heard in that he feared, or because someone will say because of his piety. I like the literal word, he feared. Now verse 8, he said, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now why did I bring up that? The fact that he said that he, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one able to save him from death. I remember the wages of what? Sin is death. So one of the things that God did was to save him just like he taught us to pray. Remember, the people asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. What am I trying to say here? You will see what keeps a child of God, one of the major things, there are many other things we'll talk about. One of the major things that keeps a child of God away from temptation is what? Prayer. It's important. Jesus taught us to pray like that. Let's ask our feet. Because sometimes in life, there are temptations. Sometimes in life, they have temptations. What we need is prayer. We pray for God's strength. We dedicate ourselves, first of all, to walking in righteousness and holiness. People of God, that is what we need. This fighting enemies is not what we need. This fighting, you know, praying against uh, circumstances in life is not what we need. The first thing that we need is dedicating ourselves to righteousness and a walk in holiness. Let's begin to pray. Say, Lord, I thank you because you have saved me. Let's pray so that we dedicate ourselves to a walk in righteousness and a walk in holiness. Let's begin to pray. Let's um, dedicate ourselves again to righteousness. Let's pray. Let's pray. Say, Lord, I dedicate myself again to righteousness. In the name of Jesus, pray. I dedicate myself to obeying you. I dedicate myself to truth. In the name of Jesus, dedicate yourself again to truth. Say, Lord, I receive grace to obey you. Let's weaken the power of Satan over our lives. Of course, we've learned first that, that temptation, that power to tempt. Just dedicate yourself to truth again. Dedicate yourself to truth. See, I dedicate myself to truth in the name of Jesus. 
dedicate myself to truth. Maybe there are areas you're still struggling with. Ask the Lord for grace. Ask the Lord for grace. Say, I receive grace to please the Lord. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh. Say, I receive grace to please the Lord. I receive grace to walk in his ways. Say, Lord, lead me in that path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead me in that path of truth in the name of Jesus. Open your mouth and pray for yourself. Say, Lord, lead me in that path of righteousness, that path of truth. That path of truth, that path of righteousness. Just lead me in that path in the name of Jesus. Pray for yourself. He truly wants to help us, help us in our weaknesses. He wants to help us. Say, Lord, lead me in the path of truth. Lead me, Lord, in the path of truth. So that the devil will not have anything against us. The devil will not have anything to accuse us of. Please pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Psalms 51. All right, Psalms chapter 51. Let's read together. One, two, three, go. Be gracious unto me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your love, compassion, blot out my transgressions. Let's read it once again like a prayer. Be gracious unto me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Can you use that to pray? Say, Lord, according to your compassion, blot out my transgression. In the name of... Maybe there are things you truly want to repent of. I think there's an appropriate time to do that. Say, Lord, according to your, according to your compassion, blot out my transgression. Blot out my transgression. So that the devil will not have anything against to accuse me of. Say, Lord, blot out my transgression. In the name of Jesus... Blot out my transgression. We weaken the power of accusation. Why? Because there's no evidence. We weaken that power of the devil to accuse us. Say, Lord, according to your greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. This is my prayer this evening. Have mercy on me and blot out my transgression. Oh, the New Living Translation says, blot out the stain of my sins. Blot out the stain of my sins in the name of Jesus, according to your compassion, to your loving kindness, according to your compassion. Lord, blot out the stains of my sins. Those stains that sin that is that is there because of sin. Lord, we ask that you blot it out because of your great compassion. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. I watched a movie, an American movie. Of, I think the guy had, he had hard drugs. So the, the place, they, they were chasing him seriously. And he just got to a river and threw the drug inside. I saw the way the policeman dived inside the river. Why? Because in the court, you need evidence. You cannot just say the guy was, he was a peddler of hard drug. No. You need the drug to present in the court to convict that guy. 
you know, but that guy was smart. And a lot of people, they do that. They tear evidences. And that is what Jesus did for you. And pastor was explaining there. Because in court, they need that evidence. Do you understand? Now, not because of anything, just because you believe. And by the blood of Jesus, that thing has been blotted out. If you talk to lawyers, they'll tell you that what the judges need in court. Say that's why people, you know, after stealing billions, they still can't convince these guys. Why? There's no evidence. And some of these guys are smart. Now, you might not be smart. The only smartness you have is that you can plead the blood. And of course, we've learned the only way we plead the blood is to speak the same thing that the blood is speaking. If you've been set free, you say, I've been set free. The Bible says, let the poor say, I am what? I'm rich. That's what the blood is speaking for you. So if you're confessing, I am poor, you're not speaking what the blood is speaking. If you're confessing that ah, this sickness will kill this, what happened to my father, happened to my grandfather, you're not speaking what the blood is speaking. Can you speak what the blood is speaking with respect to blotting out your sins? Say, in the name of Jesus, Jesus. my sins are forgiven. forgiven. Say it like you mean it. Say, my sins are forgiven forgiven. by the mercies of Jesus. Jesus. Say, my sins are forgiven. forgiven. Say, I've been washed clean. Say, I've been washed clean clean. by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Say, I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Say, I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Say it like you mean, say, I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, if you read the verse 3, say, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I was listening to David Paulson and he said something. Say, a woman came to him and the woman was, you know, explained something she did 30 years ago. And she said, up till now, she said, my, my, my family members, they don't know about it. Say, but till today, I still feel guilty. And David Potton said, 30 years ago, when you asked for forgiveness, God forgave you. Now, he said, the woman said something like a stone, heavy stone left her chest. Because that statement alone took guilt out of her life. A lot of us have been forgiven, but listen, guilt is still there. Guilt is still there. And, of course, if you have not learned anything today, I want you to know that that blood, like Pastor was saying, not just that he took away your sins, guilt was taken away also. In the name of Jesus. Say in the name of Jesus. I have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Say guilt has not nowhere in my life. Say it like you mean it. Say guilt has nowhere in my life. Guilt has no place in my life. See, I walk in boldness. I walk in confidence. Because I have been forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Say, because I have been forgiven. I walk in boldness. Because I have been forgiven. I walk in boldness. Oh, this one area you need to confess. Because a lot of us, I carried guilt for a long time. Especially if some, if you hear some preachers teach, eh? because you know, they just remind you that though God has forgiven you, but you know you still carry that. Yes, forgiveness is there, but the consequence has not been taken away. But that's not true. That's not true. If God forgives you, you know, I was listening to Pastor Bankichi some time ago. He said, part of the forgiveness of God is that the consequences of that sin is taken away. 
if the consequences are still there, that means you are not forgiven in the first place. Praise the Lord. So I'd like you to walk in that confidence. Just declare once again, say in the name of Jesus, guilt is no longer in my heart because I have been washed clean. Say I walk in this boldness. Say I walk in this boldness. Say I walk in this boldness. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus paid the price for me. That Jesus paid for my sins. Therefore I walk in boldness. Give the Lord thanks for that first. Just give the Lord thanks. Give the Lord thanks. (laughs) Nothing is held against you. Nothing. 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 Nothing is held against you. Your sins have been blotted out. Jesus has forgiven you. The devil has nothing to accuse you of. The prince of this world comes and finds nothing in you. Nothing in you. Nothing in you. Nothing in you. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has gone to that register and they can't find it again. Oh, give him praise. Give him praise. These are the things we thank God for. These are the things we thank God for. We thank God because the devil has nothing against us. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you for this freedom that we enjoy. Thank you for this confidence. Thank you for this confidence. Thank you for this confidence. We have no confidence in our works. We have confidence in the blood of Jesus. Lift your voice and thank him. Oh, thank him. Thank him. May you be, you've been haunted. You committed abortion and you've repented. But sometimes that voice keeps coming. That voice keeps coming. I'd like you to know that Jesus indeed has forgiven you. Give him thanks. Bless the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for freedom. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We thank you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. One thing we must learn as Christians is that we must learn to speak out. Amen? Sincerely, we must learn to speak out. I have a personal testimony in that regard. There was a time I lived somewhere around New Heaven. And very close to my house is a mortuary. I think I've shared this thing here. And every time I walk past that mortuary, a voice would just, you know, there's a way you hear a voice. Just, I'll hear that voice that one day you still enter here. And that one day, of course, you know, everybody will die. But that one day, it sounds premature. You understand? <laughs> and you don't keep quiet to such things. So. At a time, when I hear that voice, I will speak out. Now, it's not like you're confessing something in five minutes. Just a simple line. I shall live and not die. That, that you understand? Now, that this is about eight, nine years ago. I just remembered it today now. Do you understand? People, they hear voices. So I've heard people who heard voices. So. In fact, I heard a friend, a friend told me he was traveling to Lagos. No, not, I heard it. He was traveling to Lagos. He heard the voice say, calm down. Came down from the bus. Saying, run inside the bush. He ran inside the bush. He took a knife. Took a knife. Killed himself. Uh-huh, no. In fact, it was when he was inside the bush, he called somebody. He stayed in that bush for like three days. They found his dead body. It was his Sunday school teacher. Now, listen, these things are real. You know, when we talk of these things, you must learn to talk. You understand? When you are accused by the devil, one of the things you should do is to speak out. That is why as Christians, we are talking on a daily basis. As we are walking, we are talking. Thoughts are dropping in our hearts that are not in line with the word of God. We align those thoughts with the word of God. I don't know if you get it now. 
You think of your children and you think of evil. You speak words concerning your children. It's a matter of time. Those thoughts will leave you alone. I don't know if you get it. We are talking constantly. I, I like what Pastor said, that we must speak what the blood is saying. What the blood is. You don't keep quiet. Now, don't even say it in your heart. You speak it out. Do you understand? You speak it out. So you are constantly praying. You are constantly listening. And I know a lot of people are going through such things. And that's the way to deal with such things. Father, we give you praise. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for restoring our confidence. Thank you for restoring boldness. Thank you, Lord, once again for reminding us that the blood is still speaking. Thank you for reminding us that the blood is still powerful. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that the devil has nothing in us. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for infusing grace once again into our system. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. If you're excited like I am, I'd just like you to give the Lord a clap of friend. You're excited like I am that the devil has nothing in you. Nothing. Nothing. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm so excited about this word this evening because, you know, if you have suffered from guilt, when you hear messages like this, you'll be excited. And I'm so excited once again uh, for confidence that is restored. And I know a lot of us indeed are also excited. Praise the Lord. Were you blessed today? You're sure you're blessed. Just give God thanks in 30 seconds again. Just give him thanks. We will never be tired of giving him thanks. And say, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Now, let's share the grace in fellowship. You're coming for the first time. I believe you already have the magazine. We'd like you to please turn to page 11 of the magazine that is in your hands. And you'll see at the close of meetings, this is how we share the grace in unison. So, let's go. One, two, three, go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we are passed out of death and we are passed into life. We are passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We are passed out of under curse into the blessing. All things are passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is a season of multiplication and dominion shining forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just say that to three persons, the last line. This is your season of multiplication and dominion and shining forth. In the two more persons. This is your And the last one to yourself. This is my season of multiplication and dominion. 